This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. Civil engineers and their firms are big targets for hackers and for cybersecurity attacks. Why? Because of the data that you possess, right? You have information about clients, you have infrastructure information. So we're going to cover that topic today. We have an expert on to help you think about cybersecurity. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Michael Castro, the founder and CEO of a cybersecurity firm, Risk Aware. Michael is an accomplished IT leader with 20 plus years of experience building and leading information security, cyber risk, and compliance at the enterprise level. He has successfully led all aspects of information security programs, policies and procedures, oversight and control, strategy, architecture development, and training amongst others. So we're going to talk about the importance of cybersecurity for engineering firms and how you can introduce cybersecurity into your firms, into your organizations, into your teams. Now, before we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free. So now I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI's reputation and history sets them apart. PPI has helped engineers achieve their licensing goals since 1975. Their courses and review materials are based on decades of experience. They schedule their courses over two to three months to ensure you can properly retain information and allow enough time for homework. They ensure students don't have to cram for their exam. Their courses come with everything you need. They offer robust programs with access to lectures, forums, learning hub, books, slides, and more. Their programs place a big emphasis on homework. They believe that practicing as much as possible is crucial to exam success. PPI's instructors are very highly rated on student surveys. They're extremely attentive and knowledgeable. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Again, that's ppi2pass.com. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for our conversation of the week. Today I have with me my guest, Michael Castro, the founder and CEO of the cybersecurity firm RiskAware. Michael, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Anthony, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Just to get us started off here, Michael, why don't you, in your own words, tell us a little bit about your career journey up to date and kind of how you got to where you are today. Cybersecurity is uh, obviously front and center as we've seen it, but I've actually been in the field for almost 25 years and kind of stumbled into the career. Uh, I was working in IT in a uh, different field and had an organization that needed some protection of their customer information. And when I pointed out that we had nothing in place and that really they should do something, they kind of all and told me that that would be my next step. 
So I've kind of grown from that. I spent 20 out of my 25 years in the corporate world, uh, working in oil and gas, pharmaceuticals, healthcare, insurance, and banking, and retail. But I ended my corporate career and I came out and formed RiskAware, which really is a, a boutique cybersecurity firm really focused on small, medium businesses, uh, non-for-profits, really to help them build out their uh, cybersecurity needs and ensure that they can keep themselves safe in, in today's day and age. I'm excited to talk to you today because in the world of civil engineering, pre-COVID, pretty much everybody out there said, you know, you can't do civil engineering remotely. Everyone's got to come in the office. You know, we have to do our plans and all this stuff. And then in March 2020, overnight, 99% of civil engineering firms were completely remote. Everybody was remote. Maybe we could talk a little bit about how engineers or engineering firms can think about introducing cybersecurity into their business efforts. I mean, cybersecurity takes a lot of forms. We often look at it from a, a triangle perspective of people, process, and technology. And each one of those is uniquely important to the overall ability for organizations to build some sort of cybersecurity practice or cybersecurity well-being within their own companies. Engineers, you know, are very much no different than everyone else in the sense that we all need some form of cybersecurity. Statistics show that in Canada, especially uh, two-thirds out of all small, medium businesses are going to have some sort of cybersecurity attack in the next five years. And that's, that came out actually four years ago. I'm quite positive that number is actually far worse because on top of that, many of those organizations aren't going to survive a major cybersecurity breach. So we're seeing a lot of changes and trends in the way threat actors are perceiving. And what used to be, when I was in the corporate world, what used to be, you know, predominantly attacks against large enterprises and corporations, we're now seeing the majority of attacks happening against the smaller and medium-sized businesses. And from them, a lot of them are on professional services, much like engineering firms, doctors, architects, and uh, medical clinics and the like. So there's a lot there, and it really then bodes to, to the need for everyone, including engineers, to really think about, look at, prepare themselves for needing to do something within cybersecurity for their organization. Yeah, and I like what you said there, you know, people, process, and technology, you know, thinking about the different aspects, because sometimes we tend to look at one part of it, and we don't think about the other parts of it. I know here at EMI, we do a lot of corporate training for engineering firms. And we are, we're constantly telling them, if you want your engineering professionals to be well-rounded, they've got to be good technically, they've got to be able to manage people, and they've got to be able to manage projects, right? You need these three different skill sets. And it's kind of a see the same there analogy with the cybersecurity, right? You have to look at the different sides of it. So how is cybersecurity affecting the engineering community specifically? And I kind of, Anthony, put in kind of this 80-20 rule, and I always talk about 80% of cybersecurity attacks are going to happen and be the same for all types of companies, including engineering firms. That goes without saying, right? We're all going to see phishing attacks and potential for ransomware and malware that comes towards us. But the other 20% is really what we often look to focus on, because those are pieces that are really specific to different professions or different verticals that companies are in. And 
when I think about, you know, the engineering community, I really look at a couple of different vectors where cyber uh, security and cyber threats really play. First off, for many organizations with engineers, we're, we're looking at OT networks and, and operational security, where, you know, we have organizations that have accountability or responsibility, have a, an OT network that they are part of or responsible for. And we're seeing a lot of attacks towards these type of OT networks because they're very much driven around process around critical infrastructure, around systems that need to function, and they're right for a threat actor to try to come in, disrupt that, and, and have a disruptive type of attack on that. But we also look at some other pieces on the governance side. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, engineers have a lot of information at hand. And for many, especially the firms, they're looking at a lot of intellectual property, IP, they're looking at schematics, at drawings, at reports, at models, things that they hold on in their backends, on their servers, in the cloud that are, are critical for them in what they are doing or what they have done. And a lot of that is looked at as pieces to be either stolen or be ransomwared in the sense of causing it to not be available to many groups, including the engineers. And of course, we have the other side too, which is really client information. And so many organizations and firms are holding on to customer or client information. I don't need to tell you what that means when that gets lost at the hands of somebody and gets out into the open with identity theft and everything else, but disruptive and reputational impacts to firms. So again, those kind of technical sides, what we're talking about, and then really the governance process and the people side. To your point, I mean, some engineering firms may be a representative for a municipality. They might have plans of the water system and, you know, these types of things that somebody could want to get their hands on for sure, which is important. And I think the one thing too, Michael, that I'll throw out here is that from what I've seen, what I've learned about is it doesn't necessarily mean that just because you're a smaller company, you need to pay less attention to cybersecurity. I mean, an engineering firm with 20, 30, 40, 50 people could be doing millions and millions of dollars of engineering work on critical infrastructure projects. So I just kind of want to dispel that rumor for some of our listeners out there that have smaller firms that this is really something I think that all firms should pay attention to. And I, I would imagine too, and this is just me, you can confirm or not confirm, but I would imagine if you started on a smaller scale as your company's growing and you start to learn about it and implement things, it probably can be a little bit easier for you than trying when you have a thousand people to say, hey, we really got to focus on cybersecurity. I always say security should start at the beginning and it should grow as an organization and a company grows. If you have a thousand person organization and a hundred million in revenue and the light bulb's now going off to say, hey, we should probably start doing cybersecurity, then it's going to be a daunting task and it may already be too late. As you said, Anthony, the, you know, the small companies, we don't measure it in terms of the number of people or even the revenue we look at what they're holding on to, what that data is, because at the end of the day, it is data, whether taking it or hiding it and uh, extorting it, that becomes so valuable. And the smallest organizations, to your point, can have a lot of accountability within their small organization that uh, needs protecting. That's great. I'm glad you said it in that way. So really, it's not the number of people, the amount of money your firm makes, it's the data that you have protecting that data. And that could be the same for 20 or 60 or 100 person firm or more. So that, that's a good way to think of it. And when you say threat actor, just for those not familiar with the term, does that mean a person literally or any type of threat? Or can you just describe that for us? 
Yeah, so threat actor is the fancy word for the hacker, right? The ones that are out to manipulate and extort and impact you, they come in all different shapes and sizes. We've seen threat actors, you know, kind of what we've always um, called in the industry, the script kiddies, the ones that are just doing it for fun. But really, the, the biggest threat actor group today is organized crime. It really is a multi-billion dollar industry now in terms of the amount of money that these attackers, these hackers are able to get through their activities. But, you know, no matter what we call it, we'll call them the bad guys in the sense of, of what's happening with cybersecurity. In the engineering industry, there's constantly things that companies are doing on a regular basis. They do their strategic planning. They do their budgeting. When it comes to cybersecurity, how often should businesses be reviewing their cybersecurity measures? One thing I've always said, you know, throughout my career is, you know, you have to be embracing continuous improvement. Continuous improvement really means always making a change. So to answer your question, the answer is really in effect, always. Businesses should always be reviewing their cybersecurity measures. And I say that because cybersecurity isn't like a typical project where you plan, you start, you act upon it, and you finish it off. And at the end, you have a, a net result. That doesn't happen in cyber because as soon as you've completed something, either it's become outdated or it's been eclipsed by yet another threat. I use the example where organizations may be on a, a campaign to improve their perimeter security or their security for their remote workers. And that's great. And that's important. But email is the growing risk factor that's happening now. And we can build one thing, almost like a Bastille, where we build one thing and, and the attackers kind of go around the back and pick another way in, or they find ways to disrupt what you've made or built or done with new advanced technology, new, more sophisticated types of attacks. I can tell you in the 25 years, you know, the attacks that kept me up at night 25 years ago uh, pale in comparison to what we see today in terms of the sophistication and the complexity of those threats. So organizations should look all the time. You know, at the very least, they should be reviewing their security plan no less than annually to really be ensuring that it is effective, it is has the right resources and budget towards it, and that the money is spent in the right way. It's telling what you said about attacks 25 years ago versus now. And I'm sure people aren't surprised by that, but it's certainly something scary to think about. And obviously, engineering firms, engineers are very data-driven, very analytical. When it comes to cybersecurity, what are some cybersecurity metrics and how do you kind of address and achieve them? So metrics is always an interesting topic because, you know, every organization is a little different in how they try to measure. And, and, and security has always been challenging to try to build a metric around and be able to compare it point F over point or month over month in terms of what that means. I would say there are a couple things, though, that kind of are commonality across different organizations in different fields. One, I think, is really we look back to that triangle is the people side with the people being the weakest link in an organization's uh, security model. And I mean that as employees or vendors, anyone who has the ability to do something like click on an email and cause a myriad of problems, training is probably that first thing and really measuring on how successful training is going. You mentioned how your firm is doing training. All firms should be doing training and measuring the success of that training, the number of people that have, have completed it, kind of the direction that it's going. Because a, a well-trained uh, workforce 
is a good defense against these type of things. We want to look at at kind of system health. And I say that in the sense of patching, right? Organizations all realize that systems, whether it be IT or OT, all need to have some form of security upgrades or patching to be done. So we want to look at that health of that and, and not to count the number of patches necessarily, but the fact that the company is maintaining a regiment to try to, to put in these type of firmware upgrades or software patches in order to keep things uh, secure. The last one is really on the management side. And, you know, a good security program has management involvement and management support. But that really stems from senior management understanding what security is and, and what is going on and ensuring that they are aware of it. They know the pieces that an organization or the engineers or portions of the firm are working to uh, fix that bodes well for having uh, their buy-in, their support, their dollars at the end of the day to try to make things better. And those are all things that sounds like they would be effective. And if, if for those of you out there maybe thinking, is this really worth my time? I did see something, Michael, that you posted on LinkedIn that said, according to the Cybercrime Magazine, $6 trillion in losses from cybercrime-related damages are anticipated by 2022. So if you're out there thinking, is it really worth our time? Should we put a committee together on this? Should we look into this? The answer is 100% yes. For, for Obviously, for all the reasons that Michael already described to us, client data, your data, your infrastructure, but also the fact that it's going to cost you money if this happens to you. So if you're worried about investing money in training and things, you shouldn't be short-sighted in that way. It's the same thing that we tell companies when it comes to project management training, right? If your project managers are managing projects so they're more profitable, it's going to pay for your project management training. You can't say, oh, I don't want to pay for the training. I don't want to take them away from their work. You, know, you have to think about it from an investment standpoint, which I think is really important. And so, Michael, as we come to a kind of close here on the cybersecurity stuff, we have maybe leaders out there, firms listening, and they just heard some of the things that you talked about doing. If you're in their seat, you're a leader in a firm, you listen to this podcast and you want to take some action, what are maybe some of the first things you might recommend that they do to try to move forward and look into cybersecurity implementation systems, anything that they can do to reduce their risks? Obviously, cybersecurity with the multi-billion dollars, as we move to this trillion dollar numbers that we're talking about, there's a lot of money obviously being extorted or received by the hackers. But there's also a lot of money being spent to protect organizations. The good news, though, is not everything costs money. And there are actually pieces that can be done fairly quickly at a low cost as organizations work to build the business case for security budget or even personnel to be able to help them. I'd say, you know, there are three some really simple things that companies of all sizes should focus on if they haven't already. First off is some training. There are so many good pieces out there on security awareness, both paid and free. The government of Canada, through the Center of Cybersecurity, has put out great materials for organizations to tap into to really bring forward and help their own workforce understand the risks. Because understanding the risks and understanding how an attack might present itself is the first step then to ensuring that organizations don't take a misstep when they're trying to do that. So training is number one. Second is email. Email, as I mentioned, is the number one uh, way that attacks are going to come in, both from a ransomware and malware perspective, you know, where we really worry about somebody clicking on something that's going to launch. But we're seeing a lot of business compromise 
email fraud, which is really a lot of impersonation where organizations are getting emails, pretending to be from a CEO or some senior leader, asking employees to do something, whether it be approve a wire transfer or even gift card fraud, believe it or not, which is still around. A lot of that can be protected. And the many email systems have ways to identify, to put disclaimers on emails, to indicate when an an email comes from external in the organization, even if it appears to be internal. Flags like that that are part of your email system that can be well utilized. And and last is really, you know, protecting that endpoint. And I say this very strongly since the pandemic, where we have a lot of workers that are outside of the organization and don't bring their laptops necessarily into a network like they used to. We have to look to utilize the capabilities that we're given either through typically through Microsoft or Apple with our Windows and and MacBook devices, patching being the one, but also disk encryption and encrypting, protecting the data that we have on our systems. And both Microsoft and Apple, as example, have free encryption capabilities built into their operating systems that people aren't necessarily aware of, aren't on by default, but are available and can protect organizations so much when we worry about loss or theft of devices, as an example. So, you know, those are really three things right off the top of my head that are a great start as one builds that journey. One of the things that could be done even based on what I hear you say is you could get all your employees together for like a lunchtime, something or other, and either play one of these videos that's out there or training or something along those lines or bring someone in. And just in an hour, you could probably educate them on a lot of these different things in terms of the email, things to be aware of, things to look for. And just one effort like that could potentially save you from or minimize or some risk there. And I think that, you know, it's up to you to kind of make that happen. I don't remember the name of it now, but I went online and I took a cybersecurity course a few months ago and just learned a couple of really, it was just an hour or two. And I learned a lot of great stuff. Like one of the big reasons that a lot of people get might get hacked is they use the same password on all their websites, which is like a major problem. And so they gave some advice on how to craft your passwords, how to make sure they're different. You're using like the two-factor authentication on certain things like banking websites and things of that. And you're a lot of simple things that I picked up in an hour and I made some changes that probably really bolstered my own cybersecurity footprint. So for those of you out there that think that this is going to be a big endeavor, I'm sure that there's a lot of things you can do from a company standpoint, but I'm sure that there are also some things you can do relatively quickly that can probably make an impact, Michael. For sure, for sure. That's something to think about. What we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to switch it up a little bit. And we're going to ask Michael a couple of career questions on our hot seat. We'll be right back. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, we're back with Michael Castro, founder and CEO of Risk Aware. We had a, a great conversation so far about cybersecurity and some things that you can do individually or as a firm to help minimize those risks. But now we are going to put Michael on the career hot seat and wrap up with a few last questions. You ready, Michael? Let's do it. All right. So do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, maybe a morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that contributes to you being a successful profession? I'm a big time morning person. I'm up every morning, 5.30, 6 at the latest to start my day. I have to get going in the day, but my day doesn't start until I actually watch the news probably on three different channels and at at different points throughout the morning, I need to know what's going on, not just professionally, but I feel engaged in needing to know what current affairs are. So that's part of my day. Exercise, big part of my routine. It really keeps me invigorated and going. 
But then the vice to that is I really like my coffee, but at least I drink it black. So black coffee mixed with exercise, maybe not at the same time. And then, you know, at lunchtime, a good meal, some more news, always staying on top of things. That's how I like to get my day going. Is there a book that you found for you you haven't forgotten? That you know, A book that you said, I read that book and it's kind of come up for me again and again. I've used it throughout my career. Is there a book or two or something that you've read that has been kind of instrumental for you or kind of key that you've gone back to? I have read a lot of books and I think we all have. But I think the one that really has stuck out for me throughout my whole career is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I know a lot of people say that. The book just inspired me to really understand the fundamentals of being able to break things down into understanding, you know, what makes success and what makes failure and how to not repeat things that you don't want to repeat and how to really focus on the things. That first habit for me of being proactive has really pushed my career as a practitioner now in cybersecurity, very much engaged about proactivity for for organizations and being proactive myself. So really, I'd say that is the probably the book for me that has really driven me forward. Successful people, habits are important, right? Developing good habits in, in anyone's life. So I think that that book really stands for that, which is great. And I think being proactive is also something that's really important in the world we live in today because there's tons of information out there. You could be very reactive and react to things, but I still find that people that kind of go out there they have goals and they're going after it, they tend to be able to kind of do what they want to do more than others because they're, they're going after it and they're proactive. So that's great. In terms of managers that you may have had throughout your career, maybe when you're in the corporate world, if you think back to some of your managers, and obviously I'm not asking you to name them, but if you think of some of your favorite managers, what are some of the traits or characteristics that you remember about them? We're just trying to uncover what are some of those traits or characteristics of really great managers. And that's why we asked this question. You know, and I've changed, had many roles throughout my career. We've all had managers at different pieces, and some have been better than others. Some have been worse than others, quite honestly. But, you know, there's one manager particularly that I think of early in my career when I was very impressionable, was working my way up in my career. And I think what really made that manager stick out for me were a couple things. First off, what I now understand should always be part of every leader is they were a great listener, right? If I had an issue, they were there to hear it. If I needed help, they were there to listen. If I was in trouble, they were there to tell me that. But they made them good listeners. This particular person was what I want to call passive. And I say that in a sense that they put a little, a lot of, of trust in what I did. And trust is always earned, right? But they were trustworthy enough to know that sometimes no news is good news. They weren't always looking over my shoulder. They were understanding that I had a task to do as they did. And they let me do my job. And, you know, really with the coaching and the guidance, it really, you know, defined how I became as a leader but also defined how I was able to build that confidence and be able to really grow from within and really fulfill what I needed to do as a practitioner and ultimately a leader and ultimately then as, as a business owner. We hear that a lot. Listening is a really important trait. And I think even in the world we live in today, especially with a lot of remote interactions, you know, it's still important to listen and be engaged with people and take in the information, maybe even more so than ever, because it, it could be more difficult if you're not sitting at a table with someone. And so I think that that's definitely an important trait for leaders in the world we live in today. All right. So I've got one last question for you. 
we call it the career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a professional and you had 30, 40 seconds with him or her, based on everything you've kind of learned in your career, and if you had to give career advice in that short period of time, what would you tell that individual? I mentioned a continuous improvement, right? Never stop. And for me, it's it's never too late to learn. For a young engineer or one that is building up evolution, and we, and we look to always be learning, you know, I myself, I'm in my 50s. I still consider myself needing to learn despite the the time that I've spent in my career. I have still so much to learn that I never give up and I never stop doing that. So it's persistence. It's learning, whether it be self-taught or formally educated and always improve. Yeah, I think it's great advice because at the end of the day, I feel like you can always improve and you can always find information you need. That's what I always tell people. The information is everywhere today. So if you want to learn how to do anything, you can look it up and you can read, you can watch videos and you can figure it out. So really, there's no excuse in today's world that I don't know how to do it. I can't figure it out. If you want to, you probably can figure it out. You sure can. It's great advice. Continuously improve yourself throughout your career. If you want to become a manager and your company may not be giving you training on skills, find a course online. It's only going to help you at the end of the day and you have the ability to do that. So once again, a big thank you to Michael Castro, founder and CEO of the cybersecurity firm RiskAware. Michael, thank you for spending some time with us here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Before we let you go, where can our listeners learn more about you or your firm if they'd like to learn more? riskaware.io is our website. Please come see us. Uh, You can also reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or at michaelcastro.ca. Thanks again, Michael. We really appreciate the time. Thanks, Anthony. I hope you found my conversation with Michael helpful. I do really think that this is an important topic and it's something that civil engineering firms aren't thinking enough about. So maybe you start a committee in your firm on cybersecurity and you could do a couple of simple things like Michael recommended, like a quick lunch and learn one day that can really educate people about this and minimize some of your risks. You can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.com dot org.